Good morning, all. We are going to be in Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. It's on page 509 in one of those blue Bibles underneath your seat. And if you don't have one at home, this is our gift to you. Please take it with you as you leave today. All right. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Emily. Good morning. How are we doing? My name's Josh. I'm the pastor of this lovely church, and it is our two-year anniversary, and I just want to stop. I thought about writing stuff down to being precise, not getting sloppy. I did not write anything down. I just, uh, uh, two words come to mind, and then I want to talk a little about somebody that doesn't get talked about a lot. Faith. I know that sounds basic at church, but this church was started because some people had some faith, not salvation faith, trusting in Jesus to save us of our sins, but faith that Jesus wanted us to move and take a next step that none of us expected. So two and a half years ago, some of us moved from the deep East Valley to this part of town to start a church, and now we have a healthy, vibrant, growing church because a few people said, you know what, I'm going to take a step of faith. So faith is always a part of the Christian experience. It's not just what gets you into heaven. It's what propels you forward in this life. So I just always want to be a church and a people that listens to God and follows him and goes wherever he tells you to go, whatever that is for you. But then the next word is faithfulness. Matthew 25, there's this story about people and how they use their life. Some people did it well. Some people did not. The people who did it well, here's what is said of them at the end of their life. His master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will now set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And I just feel like we as a church have been faithful over a little. And I just want to keep that little simple word, faithful. Let's just keep being faithful over whatever little God gives us. And one day we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over little. Here's much. Enter into the joy of your master. And it's just going to be the sweetest reunion of all time. But then the person, um, she's going to hate this, but who cares? Um, Part of the way Redemption plans churches is they do some background on the person going to plant a church. Part of that involves outside. So me and Aubrey had to go to this church planning assessment. I don't recommend it. It is four days of hell. Um, But the thing, you and your spouse get assessed. It's like, let's talk about it all. Finances, sex, conflict, your family, like everything. And the thing that Aubrey has, which if you know her, you know it, they score you on grit. How gritty are you? 
And she's like just through the roof. And she's this cute little blonde, just smiling around, bouncing around. You're like, that girl? Yeah, she's super gritty. So part of why this church is what it is is because there's a, what our people in our African-American church would call her the first lady. We don't call her that. She's just Aubrey or Audrey if you screw up and call the wrong name. <laughs> but Aubrey, the gritty one behind the scenes. So I just want, you're the best. Yeah. I just want to pray, thank God, for the church and for Audrey. Audrey, is it? Let me pray. <laughs> God, we love you. Thank you for faith that you give us as a gift to see you for who you are. And thank you for the faith that continues on in our life as you call us to other things, different things, strange things, things that we didn't see coming. And you reward us in the moment and you reward us eternally for our obedience to what you call us to. So God, I pray this church never loses that simple reality that there is a master over all this, and one day he is going to have everyone, every individual, every house, every husband, every wife, every child, give an account, and we as a church want to hear, well done, and turn to the joy of your master. And God, for Aubrey, who does so much for me, for our boys, for this church, does it with a smile, and does it with the toughness, and does it with a deep, deep love for the church pray that you would bless her this year in mighty ways. Jesus, name I pray. Amen. Well, we get started a new series here, Redemption. We teach through the Bible. Sometimes that's a whole book. Sometimes that's a section of a book. Sometimes, uh, like Advent, we pull p- parts of the Bible. But right now, we're entering into this series called Rich Toward God. It is simply a look at Luke chapter 12, where Jesus sort of goes on these mini rant sermons about money as he's interacting with people. And then we're going to look at these four little sermonettes of Jesus over the next four weeks. I just want to give you a, if you're keeping track, here's what we got. Today we're looking at eternal perspective. Jesus is going to talk to us about eternity, which we don't think about nearly as much as we should. Next week we're going to talk about contentment. After that, treasures in heaven, and then finally being stewards, not masters, over the stuff God has given us. So we are in this series called Rich Towards God. And here's the baseline sort of question over this whole series for you to think about. Not to think about for those in your life that are terrible with money and or stuff, But you, what is your current relationship with money like? Like you and money. How you guys doing? Like when I'm doing marriage counseling or premarital, often to get to the heart of it, I'll ask for like, describe this in an emoji. Like if you had to pick an emoji, is it like head exploding? Is it frazzled guy? Is it one to 10? 10 being awesome, we're killing it. Like, but there's an answer to that question if you want to do the hard work to actually dig down deep and say, what is my relationship like with money right now? Am I stressed beyond belief? Am I plowing forward to a future that I am certain is going to happen, although like this guy potentially might not happen? What is your relationship with money? As I think about this church and just life over the last few years, we've gone through a lot <laughs> over the last few years. I was just reading a book, Psychology of Money, great book, not a Christian perspective, good insights in it. But he talks about the unseenness of what happens in life. And that was before he finished it, right before COVID. It's like, if he only knew. And now we've all been navigating all these rising prices. Like, how do you? So I get it. It's like pressing on us all. I think about retired people in our church. I think about faithfulness to the end and paying for medical bills for you, for your spouse, for your parents. I think about all the young people here who are on the uptick of life. 
and all the hopes and the dreams and all the good and potentially terrible decisions you're making right now that are having cumulative effects off into your future in the area of money. Like, what is your relationship like with money right now? That's what we're talking about, our relationship with money. Here's my big idea for this little parable that Jesus tells this man, very simple. It's the beginning of the year. I'm not that complicated yet. I'll get deeper. <laughs> More stuff doesn't mean you're rich. And we're going to ask three questions of this text in the Luke 12 here to get to that. More stuff does not make you rich. So we're going to walk through this. I've got three questions, a problem and two solutions. I want to walk through and hear from Jesus this morning on our two-year anniversary. So let's ask the first question. What is the problem according to this man? What is the problem according to the man in the story? Let's read again what Emily just read. Verses 13 through 15 out of chapter 12 there. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at the first few verses together again. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, now talking to the crowd, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is this man's problem according to him? Very simply, I need more stuff. I need more stuff. What does he do? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What is fascinating, you don't really pick up on this little interaction, is Jesus is preaching before this. Like big, huge messages about salvation, eternity, heaven, hell, where you're going, stuff that really matters. He is preaching, preaching, preaching. And then this guy goes, hey! It's like I'm, me and Aubrey are having a moment where we're just waxing eloquently with our kids, just dropping knowledge and truth and wisdom and insight. Just, you could write a book with everything we're giving them. And they're like, where's my gum? <laughs> it's that stupid. A grown man, eternity, heaven, hell, faith, justification, all, all over his head. Hey, but tell my brother to give me some stuff. What's this guy's problem? Well, if you ask him, he needs more stuff. The Bible would have a few words to describe our battle with this area. Here's sort of the most simple way to define them. Covetousness or coveting, which also can be called greed, and envy. And very simply, greed is I want more. Envy is you looking at another another family, another business, another church. Josh Watt, church planner, two years in and saying, I want less for them. That's just what this guy's dealing with. He's just being exposed now in the Holy Bible, which has been passed along for the past 2,000 years to hear this guy's stupidity on display. He wants more. Now, here's a very simple question that everyone will get right. Do we still have the same problem? Yes. Greed, I want more for me. Envy, I want less for others. That's a human condition that is universal. It's in the genetic disposition that Adam and Eve passed down that is now in this room and every single person in this room. I want more, and if I can't have more, I just want them to have less. And then my problems will be fixed, is the other end of this stupidity equation. 
just to sort of talk about greed in a more broad sense so we don't get hung up on dollars and cents. Here's how I, greed is this. I want more. Think of money. Think of stuff. Think of resources. Think of experiences. If I had more stuff, like trivial things, Amazon purchases, resources, cars, degrees, a second home, a bigger retirement, experiences, vacation, travel, snowboarding. If I had more, I want more, then my problems would be solved. That is greed. Here's what's fascinating about greed is I've thought about this. It's so easy to see in others, and it's so easy to make a character out of greed. Like I have a few famous people we watch on the big screen. (laughs) Top left, Rachel McAdams, Mean Girls, a quote from her movie talking about her stuff. Like this one time, I got this really expensive dollhouse from Germany, but I never played with it. So my mom wanted to give it to my cousin, but I threw it down the stairs. I didn't want anyone else to have it, but that's just me. Veruca Salt in the middle, Willy Wonka. Song she sings. I want the world, I want the world, I want to lock it all up in my pocket. Gordon Gecko, Older folks in Rome know that's the original Wall Street. Michael Douglas down left. Greed, greed, greed. The most famous of all, The Grinch. And my boy Schmeagle, I want more, I want more, I want more. It's so easy to make a character of greed. And it's so hard to turn the mirror and look at it yourself and say, ah, that's not really greed. That's greed. Tim Keller says this about greed. Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex, yet almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. This is why when I meet with guys, universally, what do you struggle with? 99.987999% of the guys will say, well, lust, you know, the usual. Are you greedy? Well, I've never thought about that. <laughs> well, nobody puts greed at the top of their list of struggles. Because we all inherit the same thing this guy inherited, this heart that thinks the solution to my not enough stuff It's just getting more stuff. So that's not greed. That's just life. I just need more stuff, and then I'm going to be happy. God put this into the Ten Commandments, the same set of rules that murder's in. In sleeping with another person's spouse, he also inserted this little guy right here. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet your neighbor's male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Why does God have to create a top 10 list? Because we break it. And what's one of the top most broken things in the top 10 list? Coveting, greed. I want more. Seven deadly sins. Great Brad Pitt movie. Greed's number two. Why? Because it's a serious deal that none of us think we really struggle with. And what is this guy's solution to his problem? Verse 13, he simply says, tell my brother Mm -hmm. to give me more stuff and that'll solve my problem. So what Jesus is presented with here is a teaching opportunity. He's teaching, teaching, teaching. Some guy's missing the point, but tell my brother to give me my stuff. All that faith stuff's great, but I need some stuff. Jesus could do one of two things, and this is just a good parenting reminder. 
he could go woe on him, like woe is me. So he would do this a lot with Pharisees. Woe to you, Pharisees. Woe to you, Sadducees. Woe to you, rich man. Woe to you, lawyer. Woe to you. It's like pronouncing judgment on the front end. It's like starting with consequence. Woe to you, greedy little man. He does not do that. He sort of sidesteps and he goes opposite. He goes parable. He's like, can I tell you a story? It's David's story. David and Bathsheba, David does something terrible. He's not going to listen to the woe. So Nathan says, can I tell you a story about a guy who had an animal? Had the animal stolen? And that's what Jesus does here. He sidesteps and he says, let me tell you a story. Because you think your solution is more stuff. I'm going to tell you a story that illustrates what your solution will ultimately get you. Takes us to our next question. What is the solution now? According to this man, let's keep reading, starting at verse 16. What does this man, if given to all the resources he needs, what would he do? Verse 16 down through verse 19, let's read it together. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. And build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for your many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. There's the solution according to the man. Just before we get into the actual kind of text here, something to notice. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. The man we're dealing with in the story and in this parable are rich men with lands with plentiful amounts of stuff. So this is not a poverty question. This is not he actually needs stuff. Because I think part of what's going to happen on Judgment Day for all of us is God's going to judge us based off how we used our surplus to answer the problems of poverty in other people's lives. That's a common theme among Jesus' teaching. That's not this. He says, there's a rich man and his land has more than he needs. He's straight. And yet his problem is still, I need more stuff. Like, are we the rich man in this? More than likely, most of us are. Like, what's the, how does your salary rank amongst people? I was, you know, studying for this, prepping for this, reading books on finances, all while looking ahead to our 2023 budget and like, oh man, we overspent here. So like all this conviction, like, ah, this was a dumb time to do this series. We should (laughs) have... But I'm on, scrolling through Twitter, and one of my mind breaks, and then I come up with this, and I'm like, oh, man. So this is how much income. So this is 2017. If you make $63 million a year, if you please see me after, <laughs> in the top 0.01%, down to the f- top 50%, if you're making 41000 a year, which is what I made as a starting teacher in Tempe District 15 years ago. So that's most of us. I'm assuming, unless, I don't know how bad it's gotten. But most of us find ourselves somewhere on there. Which means as we enter into this story and let the Spirit speak to us, we don't get to sit as innocent bystanders. We have to insert ourselves into the story, more than likely as a rich man, a rich woman, with a land that produced plentifully. And take the conviction that Jesus meant for this man here. Now again, times change. It's five, five years ago, but still, you look at it currently, it's going to be something similar. We're like, okay, I think I need to implicate myself here. That being said, let's let this man 
describe himself. I just want to see the words used here. Here's what it says in verse 17. This is how it all starts. And he thought to himself. So the way the guy solves his problems is he goes inside himself and he's like, self. And then what's self produce as he thinks with himself and himself only? What's he going to do? What shall I do? I have nowhere to store these crops. Verse 18, I will do this. Here's his action now. I will tear down my barns. I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. Verse 19, back to self now. Now he's talking back to himself. He accomplished his task. Now soul. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the solution. I need more stuff. Self, what do I do? Tear down, build, store, lay up treasures, and then say to yourself, eat, drink, and be merry. So like steps to, this is if he was writing a book, How to Get Rich, he wouldn't have this as the subtitle, but according to the rich fool, consult with yourself. In the list of counselors in life, you are supreme, which usually is a combination of your thoughts, your family of origin, your current feelings, and your stress points. So talk to that person. Let that person dictate what you're going to do. Next up, consider only yourself. He only uses personal pronouns. I, I, I. My barns, my stuff, my fields, I, 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 me, 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 my, 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 I, 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 me, 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 I, 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 you get the point. Never once God's barns, God's stuff, stuff for others, very personal pronouns. Next up, and then work your tail off to get stuff for yourself. This is the most convicting because as I've been reading finance books and just, if I had to give you two things that helped me financially, three things. I don't make that much money. Number two, treasure principle by Randy Alcorn a little bit. And number three, just a basic budget me and my wife do every year. So I'm not like the finance guru at all. But I've read a lot of finance books just to kind of get the lay of the land. And this guy could write a book that would be a bestseller on how to enjoy life to the fullest. His chapters are not anti-American or crazy. They're crazy only when you pick up scripture and compare scripture with what's being said here. Then you're like, there's some disconnect here. But his book could sell millions. How to get rich. How to build bigger barns. How to have lots of stuff. Do you want to eat, drink, chill, and be merry? Read this book. I'll read that book. He's writing a very good book. Finally, relax and enjoy yourself. Is that not the life? Sounds amazing. <laughs> Little problem. Jesus doesn't seem to like it. So here's what the human heart believes by default. This story is trying to illustrate. I need more. All of us feel that. The stuff is mine. And I can get to a point where I'll be satisfied. It's just not here. It's there. That's why every lottery winner... <laughs> That's why even these huge, Bernie Madoff was rich before he did all his stealing. So it's like, dude, you had here. Why steal to get here? Because we're never satisfied till here, which is always just slightly out of reach. Which is why this church was built 
long before I was around, and sort of two of the godfathers of this church, a guy named Tom Schrader, who's gone home to be with the Lord, and Neil Pitchell, who just retired as of December 31st. He was the CFO of Redemption for a long time, and he was Tom's right-hand man. Both had finance backgrounds, and both would teach on this endlessly to crowds. And Tom's number one thing is this, put a ceiling on your life. What's the top? Pick it and stick with it. And he would teach and he would teach and he would teach and he would teach. And he lived it. Even the elders, Redemption Gilbert, the East Valley Bible became Redemption Gilbert. It's like the oldest redemption congregation. At one point, the elders are praying, we want a bigger building because God is blessing them. People keep coming. They're in the thousands. Let's build this big auditorium. Elders are praying. Something in their spirit stirred. You know, I think we need to shrink down what we're dreaming about. And they put on hold a massive plan that would have added way more seats and capacity for that. And they stocked that money away. And that money is still blessing this church to this day, decades after that happened. Why? Because there was this ceiling that some godly men said, you know what? We don't have to get here. We could be here and be just fine. And that's the problem with all of us is we don't create this here. We think, no, it's there. But what about here? So just some questions to think about with a potential ceiling. Just go straight to the heart of it. Your money, like what salary is your ceiling? And then you're good. If you're making 60, well, that's like, well, more than 60. Uh, yeah, duh. Well, how much more? Well, I don't know. Well, think about it. 80? Well, we're making 140 right now. How much more do you need? Uh, more. Well, how much more? This whole parable is to paint the illustration that that gap between what you have and what you think you need is in all of us, and it's not as satisfying, and it's not as smooth as you think it is. Like, what is your ceiling on money? Here's another one with experiences. Because as I've been reading about finances, Gen Z, so younger than me, the Chandlers of the world, are kind of the best with money these days. Better than the millennials, better than the Gen Z, uh, Generation Y. Like, they have a good sense of money. But just my take on it is it's a very uh, temporal, earthly, like, prudent, wise sense of money that past generations didn't have. They spend it on experience and living life to the fullest and getting experience upon experience. So here's my question. How many experiences do you need? Like trips. How many trips do you need in 2023? Well, I don't know. This man will make me happy. That's the point of the parable. At some point you say, you know what, two. Would three make me happier? I don't know. It's not worth investigating. Or better yet, quality. How much do you actually have to spend on one of those trips? Does your vacation have to match that of your parents who have worked their butt off for the last 20 years? Or can you sort of, you know what, I'll go holiday in. No, no, no. Like, what's the ceiling on all this? Or resources. I'm just going to, you know, implicate all of us and just, how many Amazon purchases <laughs> do you actually need this week? Like, well, I don't know. I don't know what's going to come up. <laughs> like, my scrubber on my dishwasher, I know I need to get that. And then my kids complain about socks. And, you know, I saw it. Or you could say, you know what, zero for January. Blasphemous. Maybe. But we can have a ceiling. We just choose not to. 
This man chose not to have a ceiling. His ceiling was, give me my inheritance, brother, and I'm going to work my tail off to get more and more and more in store and store and store. One of the slides I was going to have, but I didn't, was I started Googling, like I put in addresses around here, and how many storage units are around here? And it's like, like around North Mountain Church. I mean, you got stuff stored everywhere in this dang place. And I was talking to a friend whose friend is in the business of making these storage units. He's like, I would be embarrassed to tell you how much I make. I am killing it because all of us have so much stuff. And it's recession proof because you go into recession and we start losing stuff. Well, we got to store it because I'm going to have, I need that thing someday. Or you, you're making money and you're buying stuff. Well, I don't need this stuff, but I'll store it away. And I'll, I'll get the, it's like, well. Now, here's where Jesus, I think, could have landed the plane. He did it. He could have went like existential. It's not really as satisfying as you think. I know what you want, rich man. But let me just tell you, it's not going to fulfill you the way I think you think it's going to fulfill you. He could go Ecclesiastes like, trust me, it's all vanity. Like there's a quote out of Will Smith's recent biography. He could have done something like this. The problem with money, sex, fame is that when you don't have them, you can justify your misery. I'm mad, sad, whatever, because I don't have this, this, this. I need more stuff. But you're all like, yo, if I just had this or that, then I'd be good. Which is what we all do, which is what this parable is about. But then you get that stuff, and it still doesn't fill that void in your life. And then you're left with this terrifying thought that maybe, just maybe, you are the problem in this situation, not your stuff. Jesus could have, like Will Smith this moment, and said, you're the problem. It's bigger than... But Jesus doesn't do that. He actually sort of goes pretty intense, I think. He goes... If he didn't start with the woe, he ended with the woe. So what's the solution according to Jesus? Let's read how Jesus wraps this up, verse 20 and 21. This night, or, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Mic drop. This guy worked his butt off. He wrote a book on finances and how to get a lot. He sold a three million copies of that book. And Jesus says in the next morning he woke up, died that day. Like, your life's coming to an end quicker than you realize. So I think Jesus gives us a few things here. His first solution is something to remember, and it's eternity is coming for us. Like, this isn't Christian reality. This is reality, reality. Death is coming. Fascinating. My barber and the guy that does Aubrey's nails, we've been talking to him, you know, church stuff, and neither one of them like to think, talk, about death. The Bible doesn't give us that freedom. It sort of puts it right here a lot. You're going to die sooner than you realize. And what did you do with your life here on earth? Randy Alcorn, like I said, the book I would recommend if you're like, how do I spur my affections on in a good direction? Treasure Principle. It's just about living for eternity and not living for this moment. But he has this beautiful, convicting quote in there. He says this, five minutes after we die, we'll know exactly how we should have lived. But God has given us his word so that we don't have to wait to die and find out. And he's given us his spirit to empower us to live that way now. 
five minutes after we're dead, we're going to say, oh, yikes. He illustrates it in his book, talking about he was in Cairo, Egypt, and some friends were giving him a tour, and they take him to this dinky little place. It's a little graveyard. He's like, this is a graveyard of American missionaries. And he goes and looks at this gravestone of a guy named William Borton, who was a graduate of Yale, rich young man, going to inherit a lot, and he felt called to go to Egypt to serve Muslims with his life. He could have had it all here in America. And he says, I'm going to Egypt. I want to serve the poor. And he's reading his, his gravestone. It says it describes his love and sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for his Muslim people. But the inscription that ended it says some, said something he'll never forget. And here's what the end of his Gravestone says, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life as this. At some point, the idea that Jesus is trying to portray to this man got into the heart of William, and he said, I'm living for that. And then Randy Alcorn and his wife go with this couple now to the museum to go see King Tut, died at 17. And the Egyptian thought then was, you take it all with you. So he's in a golden casket surrounded by a golden tomb, another 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 golden tomb. And he's dead. And five minutes after William's gone, and five minutes after King Tetza, they both realize what really was the truth. And one of them lived the right way. Not even talking about destiny and where King Tut ended up. Just his stuff did not go with him. It's sitting there still to this day. It was not discovered till 1922, thousands of years after. What a waste of thousands and thousands and thousands, tons of gold. Like we are living for eternity. And this is one of those things like none of us conceptually can understand. But we have to do the work to think about eternity as often as we can. Francis Chan has this teaching illustration you can find on YouTube. It's the best one I've seen. He takes this long rope, and he wraps it all around. It's like, you know, a couple hundred feet. He's like, your life. And then he goes to the very tip of the beginning. This is your life. And this is eternity. Like, think of the longest rope or extension cord you have in your house. Go get it. Show it to your kids and say, this is us right here. And then eternity begins. Jesus says, man. You are a rich fool. Eternity is demanded of you now. Second thing Jesus does, he gives us something to do. The only like commandment in here where Jesus tells us something like do this is in the very beginning when he starts the story. Verse 15, he says this, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possession. The only to do Jesus... Take care and be on guard against what? Against your own heart. In coveting, wanting what you don't have and wanting less for others. Take care, be on guard. Watch your heart. How are you watching your heart in the area of money? Like, do you have a system in place? I, you don't. Here's mine. Came up with it and then I made it alliteration because that's what I like to do. Here's what you need, facts. Like, you actually need to look at the numbers. Like, I think I'm eating real great until I get stupid my fitness pal on my phone, and I think, wow. I didn't think you could eat that many carbs in a day, but you can. <laughs> like, what are the actual facts of how you are using money? Facts. 
Facts. Start with the facts. Next thing, your feelings. Like feelings apart. What's making you do this? How do you feel about this? If you're married, if you're especially if you're a younger guy married, you have to have meetings about money and finances and direction, all that, where you're going. And it can't be in the heat of a moment because somebody overspent. It has to be in like a neutral space where you can talk and say, okay, why, why do you feel this way about this? Why do we keep overspending here? Why are we doing this? In a neutral space, talk about it and have the feelings, have a space to come out. And then they need to be navigated through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not somebody squashing the other person. But you've got to do the heart work. You've got to have space to, what's, what's money doing to me? Feelings. Then you need friends. You actually got to talk to people about it. You got to give specifics like, here's my, but like, how do you think about this? How do you spend this? How do you think about savings? How do you think about giving to church? How do you, what do you spend? Me and Aubrey ask this all the time because we're always curious. How much do you spend on groceries a month? Do we need to give up one of our kids or can we make this thing work? (laughs) Talk to people like in an awkward way. And then finally faith. What about your financial picture, your reality, your budget? Can you point to, to someone and say, this was a faith decision? That makes no sense. You could afford a lot more. It's a faith decision. Like for us, it's like looking at our tithes and offerings we gave, like we could have done a lot. Why? We feel like God tells us to give cheerfully, so we give cheerfully. Facts, feelings, friends, faith. But you need to guard your heart. But then finally, here's what Jesus leaves us with, is something to pursue. I love how he ends, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself. But what do we want to do instead of that? He says this, and is not rich toward God. What do we want to be? We want to be rich toward God. That's the Christian goal. And the reality is we all live like this guy thinking, no, no, what I want is richness to get me from here to there. And Jesus saying, no, you want to be rich towards God. And I just want to be as clear as I can with what that means. Here's what most religion would teach you. Here's what religion in a nutshell says. We got it up there. You could be rich from God if you work enough for it. All my Muslim friends, they're working for an inheritance, a richness in the next life based off how they act now. A lot of my Catholic friends live in that reality. Mormon friends, even secular people, they're all living for something. I've got to earn this. Here's what the gospel of Jesus Christ says. You are rich in God now because of Jesus Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have everything we need now in Jesus Christ. How does that spur us on to be rich towards God? Here's the other thing I would add to that. And you can be richer towards him based off what you do with this teaching here, period. You need two beliefs. We could talk about behaviors on what you're supposed to do with money, but two beliefs, I think, to do this well is you got to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he who was rich became poor. He who sat on the throne of heaven came down and took on the poverty of a cross for us so that we might be rich because of what Jesus did. you got to believe the gospel. And then you also got to believe that he rewards those who seek him. What you're doing now matters. Salvation is fixed by Jesus' finished work, but you can add to your kingdom richness by how you live now. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus was wanting this guy to see. Do you believe that? Like, here's what's sobering. At some point, this might be the point for you. You're going to hear the last sermon you've ever heard on money. Read the last book you've ever read on money. Last podcast. Like, your information of money and stewarding is going to come to an end. And you're going to die one day. And Jesus is going to say, how many sermons did you listen to? How many books did you? No, he's going to say, what did you do with what you heard? 
James says it this way, don't be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. That's what we want to do. That's why we're in this series. We want to be doers of God's word in the area of money. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the abundance of riches we have in Christ, in the gospel. This would be very hard to teach or listen to if we did not have that. If we were part of some sort of self-help, merit-based, religious group trying to earn your favor and ultimately your riches. But we as recipients of the free grace of Jesus Christ sit here wealthier than any of us deserve. And now God, with that wealth that you've given us, spiritually with a new life and even financially with the life you've given us here to steward, we want to do it well. So we confess in this moment our greed, our envy. We confess that we want more of you. We want to be rich towards you. So God, help us do that. Help this series spur us on towards that. Help our RC, our small groups, help us spur on towards that. God, in each of the hearts in this room, I pray that your spirit would be uh, teaching, convicting, uh, and discipling us towards richness in you. We love you, Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.